Thank you to our many choirs who led us in worship today. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 34, showers of blessings. I'll put on your running shoes. Our time is a little short, but Dan said, Pastor, let me assure you the congregation would rather hear these international choirs than hear your stewardship sermon. <laughs> Come to think of it, I'd rather hear these choirs than hear my stewardship sermon. But here we go. We do preach the gospel now in six languages every Sunday at First Baptist Church on our campus. And you heard a sampling of those languages. And 11 o'clock, we'll hear some different languages as well. Our stewardship theme this year comes from Ezekiel 34, 26. And I will call showers to come down in their season. They will be showers of blessing. God is telling ancient Israel that he will restore them and bless them and provide for them with showers of his favor. God also showers us with his blessings, doesn't he? What do you have? What good gift have you received that was not provided by the hand of God? Sometimes we think we're self-sufficient. Sometimes we live under the ruse that we are self-made men and women. I worked hard. I studied hard. I saved a long time. I invested wisely. But who gave you the wisdom, the wit, the skill, the strength, the health, the knowledge, the know-how, the determination, and the good fortune of being where you are today. James, the brother of Jesus, tells us, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. What you've received, anything that you or I would call good, is a gift from God. God treats us like he treated ancient Israel and the hope of restoration, there shall be showers of blessings. Well, the first 10 verses of Ezekiel 34 talk about bad shepherds. Bad shepherds, verses 1 through 10. In both the Old Testament and ancient Near Eastern languages, the shepherd was an image for the king. We see it in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Zechariah. In fact, in the second millennium, Babylonian King Hammurabi describes himself as the king said of Babylon, I am the, the shepherd who brings salvation and my staff is righteous. In fact, the Lord said to David, didn't he? You will shepherd my people Israel and you will become their ruler, 2 Samuel 5.10. Have you ever thought about the fact that both Moses and David, when they were called to be the leaders of God's people, were in the act of shepherding at the time of their call? Moses was overwatching his father-in-law Jethro's flock. David was watching his father Jesse's flock at the time the prophet Samuel arrives. Yes, king, leader, shepherd, they go together in the ancient world. And yet the ancient kings who were supposed to be shepherding the flock, they failed. They were not good leaders. They were not good kings. Rather than caring for the sheep that God had entrusted to them, they exploited the people who were under their care. 
They were fleecing the sheep. They were fattening themselves at the expense of the sheep. Look at verses 2 and 3 of, of Ezekiel 34. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, thus says the Lord God, woe to shepherds of Israel who've been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. They were feeding themselves, not the sheep. And they showed none of the pastoral qualities that a good leader should have. Look at verse 4. They didn't take care. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The disease, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the loss. But with the force and with severity, you have dominated the sheep. Well, in verses 5 and 6, three times, he says, they're scattered. My sheep are scattered They've been carried away to foreign lands. The kings have not been good. In fact, he says in verse 10, you're not going to rule anymore. Thus says the Lord God, verse 10, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I shall demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding the sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore, but I shall deliver my flock from their mouths that they may not be food for them. Now, the 43 kings that ancient Israel had from 1051 B.C. to 586 B.C., only David, Hezekiah, and Josiah were predominantly good kings. There might have been eight or nine other kings who did some good, but the vast majority of these shepherds, these kings, were bad. So God says you can't shepherd anymore. 11 through 18, the good shepherd, the good shepherd. In verses 11 through 18, we learn that God himself now becomes the shepherd. Why look at verse 11? For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. Look at verse 12. As a shepherd cares for his herd in that day when he's among the scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a Cloudy and gloomy day, that's eschatological language, apocalyptic language, a cloudy and gloomy day. The kings had allowed God's people to be scattered. and God says, I'm going to be the shepherd now. I will search for my scattered flock. I will bring them home. I will rescue the lost. I will feed my hungry sheep. God will search for the wanderer, for the sheep that is lost. This is the first time I saw it. I hope you see it. When God says he will, he, will, he will go after the lost sheep, the wandering sheep, don't you know that's what Jesus had in mind in the gospel of Luke 15? Now I see where Luke 15 comes from. Listen to the words of Jesus. It's just like God in Ezekiel 34. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing when he comes home. He calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice for me, for I have found my sheep which was, which was lost. In the same way, heaven rejoices over sinners who come home. Jesus knew Ezekiel 34. 
God is the shepherd who goes after the lost sheep. Verse 13, he says, I'll feed them. Verse 14, he says, I will allow them to graze on the mountain heights of Israel. And then it sounds like Psalm 23 in, in verse 15, where he says, I will lead them to rest. Then verse 16, I will seek the lost. I will bring back the scattered. I will bind up the broken. I will strengthen the sick. God as shepherd is as old as Genesis 49. And yet perhaps the best known passage is Psalm 23 where David, the under-shepherd, says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Showers of blessing. God as shepherd giving good gifts. To the sheep. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. Did you notice all those first person pronouns? Look at verse 11. I myself will search for the sheep. Verse 12. I will care for my sheep, verse 13. I will bring them out from the peoples, that is, from being deported in exile. I'm going to bring them back to the Holy Land. I will bring them back, 14. I will feed them good pasture, 15. I will feed my flock, and I will lead them to rest. And verse 16, I will seek the sheep that are lost. I, 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 the kings have been bad shepherds away with them. I myself, God, will now take care of my sheep. The kings have been takers and not givers to the flock. Well, now, 17 through 22, we've got bad sheep. 17 to 22, bad Sheep. Not only do we have bad shepherds, now we have some bad sheep. Look at verse 17 of the text where he says, As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will judge between one sheep and another, between the rams and the male goats. The Lord himself was opposed to unjust and greedy gain. Those who took advantage of the weak sheep, like a shepherd who must judge between the sheep, some to be bred, some to be sold, some to be butchered. The Lord will judge between the people who need his care and those who deserve his judgment. If the shepherds represent the bad kings of ancient Israel, the greedy, abusive kings, then the bad sheep amongst the flock represent the bullies, the merchants who are taking advantage of the lower class citizens, the weak and the poor. Look at verse 20. Is a distinction between the fat and the lean, the haves and the have-nots. Ezekiel is saying that the powerful and prosperous citizens who had been greedily taking all the good things from the land and had not ensured that all the citizenry had the same benefits, well, they would be judged by the good shepherd himself. God notices our greed. 
God watches our materialism. God knows when we snatch and hoard and confiscate and cover, when our hearts are stingy and our hands are not open. God knows. Verses 23 through 24, we have the Messiah as shepherd. First, we had the the bad kings as shepherd, and then we had God as shepherd, and then we had some bad sheep, and now now we get to the Messiah. This is a very messianic passage. It's a passage that's not read or celebrated near enough. Look at verse 23. Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them, and he will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. What a a powerful word. There's another shepherd coming beside God the Father who could be called, quote, my servant David. He was one from the line of David, which fulfills 2 Samuel 16, where it is said of David that his lineage of royalty will be an everlasting throne. The text moves past God as being the shepherd, and now God is God, and God appoints one from the line of David to act as shepherd in his place. Oh, but it's not David himself, for this prince, this shepherd will reign forever. It's not David, it's an idealized person who comes from the lineage of David. We can't be surprised about the identity of this Davidic shepherd, the one who watches over God's people. Had Isaiah not written in Isaiah 11, then a shoot will spring up from the stem of Jesse, David's father, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. And when he arrives, the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat. And Jeremiah, not just Isaiah, but Jeremiah saw a day when David, one like David, one from the Davidic lineage, would rule again. Jeremiah 23. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which you will be called the Lord our righteousness. Ezekiel knew that Christ, the Messiah, would come from the line of David. Isaiah had foretold it, and Jeremiah had proclaimed it, and now we see it in this text. Don't forget, Jesus is from the line of David. If we won't take the word of Isaiah and Jeremiah, maybe we'll take the word of Matthew. And the genealogy of Jesus there in the early portion of Matthew's gospel, he tells us that Jesse had a son who was named David, who had a son who was named Solomon. He traces it all the way down to the Messiah Jesus. Or Luke's genealogy, which goes all the way back to Adam. Right there in the middle, Luke says, there is a son of David. Who is this shepherd? In John 10, 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is tough and yet tender with his flock. 
He protects us, the sheep against the dangers, and he knows each of us by name. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd in John 10, and I know my own, and my own know me, and the good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. Finally, we come back to where we started, showers of blessing, verse 26. And the new age, the new shepherd brings a new covenant, a covenant identified by fertility and productivity for those who dwell in it. The showers will come in season, and they will be showers of blessing. And where there was famine, there will be plenty. No more plague, no more drought. All of God's blessings, a restoration of Eden when the Messiah comes. The paradise that was lost is now found the showers come at just the right time. We're right back where we started, aren't we? With showers of blessing. What good gift do you have that did not come from God? Next Sunday ends our season of stewardship. It doesn't end our stewardship, but it ends our season and you were each mailed a commitment card to thoughtfully pray about how your family can undergird the missions and ministries at First Baptist Church. There's a copy there in the, right by the hymnals, if you, or there's some in the office if you didn't receive one. Ezekiel 34 reminds us that God is the giver of all good gifts. And God in no way condoned the greediness of the kings or the greediness of the other sheep, but he was looking for someone who would give and care and provide for the sheep. Back in England, the New Market Church where Charles Spurgeon first pastored, there was a, an elderly gentleman, gentleman in the congregation by the name of Father Sewell. They were having an international missions meeting, and Father Sewell showed up late for the meeting. He was delayed somehow, and he, he came in right at the end, and Charles Spurgeon said, perhaps Brother Sewell will lead us in our closing prayer and ask God's blessings upon our meeting tonight. And, and Father Sewell heard the request for prayer, and he started looking for his wallet, and Charles Spurgeon was a little bit perplexed by his actions, and he said, I'm afraid my brother didn't understand me. I didn't ask him to give it this time. I asked him to pray. To which Sewell reported, yes, yes, but I could not pray until I had given. It would be hypocrisy for me to ask blessings on that which I did not think worth giving to. It would be hypocrisy for me to ask God's blessings, he's saying, in his church on that which he did not think worth giving to. This church is your church. These ministries, and there's so many, are your ministries. You cannot ask God to bless that which you do not give to. What good gift do you have that did not come from God? The preacher tells the story of taking his two daughters to McDonald's, and it was a dinner date with Daddy, and they got their usual Happy Meal, 
And the dad was trying to eat more healthful and trying to be good. And so he got just a beverage and a sandwich, but stayed away from the French fries. And he said the blessing, and they started eating the French fries. And about halfway through, he reached over to take a couple of fries from his oldest daughter. Now, you ladies specifically know this. If you eat it off someone else's plate, it's not your calories. It's their calories, right? So you don't, eat, you don't order dessert. You get three bites of your husband's dessert, and you don't have to count it that way. Well, this preacher was trying to do the same thing. He didn't order any fries, but at a moment of weakness, just two couldn't hurt. And he reached over to get two fries from his eldest daughter, and she replied, No, Daddy, my fries. She's just a little preschooler. She said it possessively, defensively, and selfishly. He was discouraged by the treatment from the first daughter, so he reached over to the second daughter, and she said, my fries. He pondered. Don't they realize I'm the one who bought those fries for them? Don't they realize I'm 210 pounds and six feet tall if I wanted to? They're 80 pounds together. I could push them aside and eat every fry that they had. Don't they realize I got a $10 bill in my wallet? I could go up there and I could fill this tray. I could get a mountain of fries if I wanted my own fries. I could get a mountain of fries if I wanted to. And don't they realize that I am the only reason that they had the fries to start with? It's that way with God, isn't it? When God asks us to return our tithe to the church, our 10% to remember him, to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, the place of worship, the church, we need to remember that God is the provider of every good gift. Every one of us is going to die penniless. Warren Buffett, he will not have a dime on the day of his death. Bill Gates, penniless at the funeral. Mark Cuban, nothing. Not that I'm in their class, but Howie Batson won't have anything either. But I'll have as much as they have. When I'm dead, the money in my name means nothing. At some point, our bodies break down and our minds go bad, and sooner or later, we are bankrupt. What if we lived our lives differently? What if we weren't like the bad shepherds of ancient Israel, taking, taking? What if we lived our lives as giving, one long gift from birth to death, one long good steward of God's good gifts to his church? to others, and why not? Don't we know who gave us all the fries to start with? Don't you realize that really all you do is manage and invest and steward and save, that when you die, someone else is going to take that money and manage, invest, and steward and save? And the question you're going to answer to God is, how generous were you when you were in charge of the money? You're just a steward. You don't really own it. You're just passing it along. But how do we do when we're in charge? It's not just our money that we steward, is it? It's our talents and our time 
Our time doesn't belong to us any more than our money. It is stewardship. About this time in a sermon like this, someone says in his own mind, yeah, that tithing stuff is Old Testament. Let's talk about the New Testament. Do you really want me to go there? The gold medal giver in the New Testament is not the one who gives 10%, but rather a widow who gives two mites and is praised by Jesus because she gave all that she had. The bad giver in the New Testament is the rich young ruler upon whom God requires all that he has, and he hangs his head and walks away because God's expectations are for all. Grace never is less than the law. The law says you should not commit murder. Grace says don't even be angry. The law says you should not commit adultery. Grace says don't even lust. You see, once we're in the covenant of grace, it's everything. And that's what the 10% reminds us of, doesn't it? That we're responsible not just for how we return the tithe, the 10% of the church, but likewise how we use all 90% of it. Isn't God interested in all of our money? What are you doing with the good gifts, the showers of blessing that God has given to you? Do you return God's portion back to Him? Or do you shout, no? Mine, like a child hoarding greasy french fries and not realizing from whence they've come. Do you honor God with your tithe to your church? Do you strengthen your church? Is your life about this community's missions and ministry? Oh, there will be showers of blessing, but just don't forget who brings the rain. Let us pray. Oh God, even our lunch this afternoon is a provision from your hand. Forgive us for shouting mine when you reach down for your portion, for acting selfishly and greedily like bad shepherds and bad sheep in Ezekiel. Father, may we realize this morning that how we handle our finances is a testimony to our spiritual maturity. For you're Lord of all, including our finances, or you're not Lord at all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.